Hello and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits, the podcast about all things film, TV and streaming, with your host, Shannon Holiday, and me, Letitia Thomas. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Binge List and Box Office Hits. I am your host, Shannon Holiday, and I'm joined once again by Letitia Thomas. How are you doing, Tish? Oh, we have had some technical difficulties oh, this morning. My well, God. this afternoon, actually. Yes. First off, we started with the fact that I went to start this podcast with you a little bit earlier, and it turns out my headphones didn't work yep. at all. So we had to quickly race off to the shops and buy a brand new pair of headphones so I could listen in. Yep. That's after trying a pair of Mickey Mouse, Mi- Mickey Mouse ears that I had a spare of. Didn't look great considering we are recording this for the first time on video. Yes, we are. Hello. So to the cameras. look at the cameras uh, just for you playing at home. We are going to be doing a little bit of video recording. Uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of snippets that are going to end up on TikTok. So you can check those out while we're recording and actually see us record. And hopefully that kind of garners a little bit of attention in terms of like, yeah. you know, reaching a wider audience and stuff. So we'll let you guys know once we get that all sorted, give us time. Um, yeah. And then, so after that, we Not after that, yes. started <laughs> doing a bit of this and then Shannon looks down at the equipment with what I can only say is quiet horror. I was, And he looked back at me and I said, we're not recording, are we? Sheer terror. And he we said- We had been going for a good 10 minutes of recording this podcast already and I hadn't pressed the record button. Yeah. So um, we're take two. So we had already chatted about three or four <laughs> films that we've been watching already and we hadn't recorded anything. So this is, this is yeah, go number three basically today. It's been oh. a good day. <laughs> if anything, all at once, right? At least we'll know for next oh, time. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, what have we been watching today, What have Tish? I been watching? So I originally watched this week Alice Darling, which was a film from 2022 starring Anna Kendrick as the lead. Um, and it's the story of a woman who goes away for a weekend with her friends for one of their birthdays, um, but she's got an abusive boyfriend who thinks she's away on a work trip. And it just shows her sort of unraveling under his control kind of from being away from it kind of thing. And then he finds out that she's lied to him and then he goes basically to take her back home. And it's just this this story that just portrays that kind of relationship. And it was it was amazingly done. Mm. Um Definitely worth a watch. I mean, it's harrowing, but not in the sense that, like, at the end it leaves you feeling so bad that you wish you never watched it kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What made you um want to watch this one? Um, I'd heard about it a long time ago, forgot about it, saw some interview where Anna Kendrick was mentioning the film, and I was and like, like oh, oh, that's right. And then it sort of appeared on one of my streaming services. So I was like, okay, yeah. now's the time. Yeah. No, I have seen that one. So I'll um I'll flick through that one at one point as well. Because I like Anna Kendrick. She's yeah, she's amazing. And it's a it's a fantastic performance from her. Yeah. 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 More adult than she's done in a long time, I think. Yeah, more deeper drama. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um my first one this week uh was a comedy called Stuba. Yep, tell me all about it. Twenty nineteen, starring Kamal Nujani, uh Dave Batista, Natalie Morales and Karen Gillan. Mm-hmm. Um it's basically about this Run-of-the-mill, you know, tough cop, Dave Batista, who uh, was working along with Karen Gillan and doing a, you know, a job and she ends up getting killed on the job um, and he's, like, stuck on, like, basically finding this person. So it's set, like, six months later in the in most of the movie and he's, like, stuck on trying to find this person. But funnily enough, it falls on the same – like, he gets more information about where this person is on the same day he has eye surgery and 
it's it's like it's comedy gold in terms of like he needs to like find out from getting to A to B to get this person. He meets up with his daughter like for lunch and she's like, yeah, I've got an art exhibition tonight. You need to come. I know you can't drive. So I'm going to put Uber on your phone. Uber on your phone. Use it. Come see me. He's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to use an app or anything. He's very like uh, technology illiterate. Mm-hmm. And um, so he tries to drive down the street. He drives out of his driveway by driving over a bush the whole way down the thing. And um, yeah, he ends up driving through all this like roadworks and stuff, not seeing any of the signs because he's wearing these like absolutely like huge eye goggle stuff <laughs> and he can't see anything. Falls into this giant pit, leaves the car there and just he ends up going, okay, Uber. Yeah, well, at that point. Yeah. So then here comes um, Kumal, Kumal's mm-hmm. character, picks him up because Kumal's like this really serious like Uber driver. He really wants to get five stars and that. And he's, uh, he's just falling down to 4.1. <gasps> yeah, because he's had a few bad runs with like just like, you know what um, general public's like. Yeah. They're just giving him like less than five, even though he's been trying to be this like perfect Uber driver the whole time. And so he's at 4.1 when Dave Batista gets in and basically Dave Batista's character is like kidnaps him. By, by saying, I need you to get to here, otherwise I won't give you five stars. And if he doesn't give him five stars, he'll fall below four, therefore he'll lose his job. So the whole time it's just hilarious hijinks of them trying to like capture this heroin d- drug dealer. Oh my God. This whole time. That's so amazing. It's worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's not going to win awards for any comedy or anything, but it's if you want lighthearted fun, this is this is the one. So I also watched Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which is a 2021 film starring Jenny Slate as Marcel the Shell um, and Dean Fleiserkamp, who's her ex, and he directs and writes it. And it started out with a couple shorts that they'd done years ago that got some awards, and then this film took seven years to get made in, in full. Um, it just dropped on Netflix in Australia and the DVD's just out in Australia, and it's a mockumentary about this character played by Dean who goes to live in an Airbnb after his, like, he splits up with his, like, partner or whatever. And he's making a documentary because he's a filmmaker and he runs into Marcel the Shell, who's a tiny little mollusk that lives in this house with his grandma. And so he just makes a mockumentary about the life of the Shell and they sort of become, like, sort of unlikely friends and then Marcel's on this journey to find his family who, like... They all got moved. Yeah, okay. And so he like wants to meet up with the rest of his family. It's so sweet. It's one Aww. of the sweetest things I've ever seen, and just so cleverly done and yeah. so so enjoyable. I've seen I've seen the cover art of it on yeah. Netflix. It looks adorable. It's it looks like, absolutely adorable. Sort of anyone can watch it. It's because Marcel is like a kid. Yeah. So it's very like through the eyes of innocence, but yeah. then the the guy that's making the the film is an adult. So he'll laugh at little things that are inappropriate that the kid doesn't understand. Yeah, so it's okay. like family friendly. So anyone can kind of watch this and I like would urge everyone to go and watch it. To check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I loved it. Going to probably watch it next week. I will. Nextly for me, I ended up watching Transformers the last night. So off the back of us watching Rise of the Beast, I'm yep. like, okay, I haven't seen all the Transformers. Chuck on the one I missed in the mainline series. And I probably should have stayed not seeing it because it was, it was God awful. God awful. It was the reasons why it was awful is the acting is not only really subpar, like honestly, they've all of them phoned it in. Like Mark Wahlberg's constantly going, huh? What? Like, where that's like 60% of his lines. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. They've got Anthony Hopkins in this as well. They've got Sir, Sir Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins, and he's in it. He, I don't know, paycheck, 100% paycheck because he's. 
one of his lines is, now this is Sir Anthony Hopkins saying, now that's a bitch in car, ain't it? <laughs> it's uh, it's surreal. I met a man once when I was overseas at UCLA for a short course. Mm. Who He was an industry professional and he referred to Sir Anthony Hopkins as my good friend Tony. Oh, and that was wild. I was my like, "My good friend Tony." I'm, I'm sorry, that's Sir Anthony Hopkins you're talking about. Not old mate. Not like, yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's a multitude of reasons why this film is bad. It's um, it's not only just like the acting. The cinematographer photography is like really really awful as well. Mm. There's this thing where I've noticed with the the last couple of Transformers films, so probably four and five mainly, things are cut in between. You can tell they're cut in between because like a character will be running and then the next scene they're somewhere kind of slightly else, still close by, but like just that little bit further oh, away. Oh, so kind of jump cut. It's like weirdly jump cut throughout the whole film and you're like, nothing flows. Nothing feels flowy at yeah. all. Take away the fact that like the action on screens, even in any Transformers feels really hard to follow because it's just giant robots and CGI fighting each other. This one takes it to the next level because the issue is Cybertron, the bad, per- the bad, whatever, bad, Transformer. Transformer is basically trying to bring Cybertron to Earth to suck its power out to make Cybertron alive again, you know, as a planet. Sure. So it's just CGI fest on CGI fest on CGI fest. It's really just jarring to watch. And also the aspect ratio changes like every five seconds and for no reason. So usually when aspect ratio changes, it's like different scenes or like it's opening up to a really like huge shot of like landscape to showcase that a little bit more. This just chop and change between like speaking to someone, then speaking to someone else. It will just change aspect ratio again, again. Yeah. See. Yeah. yeah it's okay. it's god awful. The story's it's phoned in. It's got such a messed up plot where it like starts off about being like the Knights of the Round Table, uh, you know, King Arthur, Merlin, and all that, and how they interacted with the early like Transformer Autobots, and they give Merlin a staff to like. It's like their power, but like back in those days, they called it magic. And that's involved at the start of the story. But at the end, it has nothing to do with that, basically. It's like... Transformers is just not for me. The more I hear about it, the more I'm just... See, I really like the first one. The first one with Shia LaBeouf was really good. I'm going to watch any of Well, Just watch that one. Say you've seen Rise of the Beast and this one. (laughs) See the first one Apparently Bumblebee's good too. I haven't seen that yet either. Uh, With Hayley Steinfeld. Mm -hmm. So... Weirdly enough, oh, that reminds me of a point. So you know how Bumblebee doesn't have a voice, like he's lost his voice? Sure. Yeah, he can't talk the way like the others talk. He just uses quotes from movies. Oh. As that's how he speaks. He just says a quote right. from a movie and that's what I he's trying to indicate. I didn't know that's what was going on. Right. That's essentially is his story. So he's that's the same the whole line, like way. In the end of the fourth film, Optimus Prime went off to find Cybertron just because he's heard it's still there. He gets brainwashed when he's there by the bad Decepticon character, and he comes back as I am Nemesis Prime. Anyway, so he comes back super brainwashed and he's trying to attack all the good guys. They're fighting all on top of this spaceship on Earth, and then Bumblebee out of nowhere just uses his real voice and be like, Optimus, I am your I am Bumblebee, I am your oldest friend, in like a normal voice. And then that triggers Optimus to go back from Nemesis Prime to Optimus Prime. And then Bumblebee proceeds for the rest of the film to use quotes to talk again. It's not explained. So it's like selective mutism. But yes. It do- makes no sense. Right, okay. It's not great. I'm going to move on because i got <laughs> other things to talk about. And it's a whole podcast where Shannon just rants about Transformers, Transformers films. It's just such a letdown that they went 
the way they did. Like the series was good when it had those original characters in it, like Shia LaBeouf. Like, yeah, he kind of hammed it up towards the third one, but it was coherent. Like it was one character, you followed him. Then it was just Mark Wahlberg for some reason. And also they went way too big in scale. Like obviously this was world changing events. Whereas the other one's like, oh, we're trying to take over the city, but okay. It was disappointing. I gave it one star. That's probably generous. Mm, It was. Well, I didn't watch anything that terrible this week. Um, I watched a movie called Vita and Virginia in 2018 starring Gemma Arterton, Elizabeth Debicki, and then a bunch of other people. Um, Look, it's not the best film I've ever seen, but I do think it didn't didn't get very good reviews, but I think it, it did what it set out to do, so maybe... It was mis, like judged. I think because I think it was fine. I think it was a sweet film. Did what it was doing, and it's just the story between Virginia Woolf and Vita Sackville West, which are like old timey writers. Yeah. Um, and they had this love affair, and it was just a story about their love affair. And I watched it, and I enjoyed it. And well, it I saw was it was written fine. by them as well, so that's that's mm, nice. Like they used they're involved because yeah. well, no, because they're they're majorly dead now. Um, oh, so they use. I guess. They had written there's books apparently like I know bits and pieces. I've read some of Virginia Woolf because I'm a nerd, but um, yeah, they'd written love letters to each other over yeah, the okay. years, so it quotes those actual right. letters. So therefore, they're in the writing team. Yeah, yeah, so that was like the function of the film was to use these actual letters and then build a story. Yeah, okay. Around it, and they did a yeah. fan like I liked it. Okay. I wouldn't watch it again necessarily, but, you but enjoyed it. It was worth it. Yeah, it didn't yeah, get okay. great reviews, but it wasn't too bad. Yeah. And then I also watched City Lights, which is a mm. Charlie Chaplin film um, from 1931. And it's one of his, like, quote-unquote best films that he's done. I think he liked it as well. And then a bunch of, like, now well-renowned directors have stated that it's one of their favourite films. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's the story of he plays, like, the tramp, which is his character. Mm-hmm. And he falls in love with this flower girl who's blind Mm. and then he also makes friends with a wealthy erratic it says tippler i don't know what that means but anyway basically this wealthy dude and so he's doing a bunch of stuff to try and get money to then not be sort of a tramp that he can woo this flower girl who eventually gets her sight back and then realizes that it's him and yeah okay yeah like i'd never seen a charlie chaplin film before i think it was an hour and a half by the end of it i was a bit you were like, I'm a d- bit over I'm, it. I'm done now. Yeah, but not in a bad way. But just in a way of like, we see entertainment so differently now. Yeah. So and comedy is very, very different. So by an hour and a half, mm-hmm. the slapstick, I was like, oh, it's not as charming as it started no. out. But back then, but in saying that, yeah, it was. Hilarious. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Um, next thing I watched was uh, No Country for Old Men. I have been meaning to watch this since I was in uni. Very good. I watched a scene from it yeah. and it was very good, but it's one of those like you have to watch it. So now I feel guilty that I haven't got to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's on Netflix. I did buy the DVD as well, so I've got that. Uh, it's from 2007. stars Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Biardem, Josh Brolin. Woody Harrelson's in it. Mm-hmm. I didn't realise he was, uh, but he oh. is. And Kelly MacDonald. She's great too. It's a Coen Brothers. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I hadn't checked it out yet, so I thought I would. I'd put it on. It's really gritty, mm-hmm. and it's just blows the lines of, like, you know, like people being prey versus prey versus predator, and, like, the tables turn constantly of, like, which one is, which one isn't, between, like, the assassin character of Javier and Josh Brolin, because he ends up finding – he just stumbles across, like, this, like, basically a murder scene in the desert, in the Texas desert. It's obviously, like, a gang kind of shootout happens. They're all dead. 
And he ends up finding $2 million in like a suitcase. So as you would, it's $2 million. You're probably going to take it. Anyway, it gets tracked back to the fact that he took it. So the the people that want the money back send in the assassin character. And he's really iconic. He's that You would have seen the pictures of him like carrying that gas canister with the, the thing where he presses the button and it shoots out the, the cattle prod to yeah, kill the cattle. Yeah, I've seen bits of it. I do need to sit down and watch the whole thing. Hello, friendo. It's really iconic character. And he, yeah, it's so well done. And constantly like they're trying to outdo each other, like getting caught. It doesn't end how you think it would. And Tommy Lee Jones' character is the sheriff basically trying to capture both of them. And he's trying to basically work out what's happened. So he does a lot of the exposition for the for the movie. And yeah, it just doesn't turn out how you think it would. And it's kind of like, it kind of sits with you after you finish watching it. And you're like, that was that was just really good to watch for like two hours. So I, I would happily watch that again and definitely recommend it. I can see why it was up for... I think it did win Best Academy Award for that year, 2007, I think, I think off the top. I can't remember. If not, it was definitely nominated. Definitely nominated. And I can see why it was bloody awesome. So anyone out there who haven't seen No Country for Old Men, check it out. He's looking at me. Yeah, looking yeah. at you now. Have you got any more? I've got a couple. I've got like three more. Okay, well. Or four, yeah. You do one and then I'll go through mine. I watched True Colors, which was originally on SBS. I think you can still access it on SBS in Australia or on Netflix now, which is where I watched it. Yeah. Um, it's a crime drama starring Radaway Hick, um, Luke Arnold, Warren H. Williams, and Miranda Otto. Mm-hmm. And um, it tells the story of Tony Alma, who's assigned to investigate a suspicious car accident in Perdethinder, which is up in the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'd grown up there in like with the community up there. It's like indigenous. And um, she's sort of not connected to that side of her family anymore. Mm. Um, and someone's died. And I just thought it was a, like, it's, yeah, it's brilliant, like, just crime mystery mm. thing. And it's only four parts, so it's very, very mm. small. But it's brilliantly done in that it shows, and part of the story is, like, white culture and then, like, indigenous culture and how there's different laws in in their culture and then in, in white people culture and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's partly partly English, like, English language, and then it's partly, like, different dialects from yeah. different areas up north. Yep. So it's all subtitled. And it's like just brilliantly done in mm. a way that I think TV should be going that way yeah. and doesn't because it's it's accessible to anyone watching it, but it does justice to like the Indigenous culture, which is the point because it was made by yeah, like, exactly. um, like Warren H. Williams wrote it. So yeah, and I just think more Australian TV needs to go that way. I agree with you. I think it needs to, yeah, go down that route and a little bit more. It's a brilliant crime series. Like it's... yeah. Yeah, it's, it's up there with, like, a bunch of others. Yeah, okay. I will – where did you see it? Netflix. Netflix. Netflix, okay. It's on there now. Yeah, four parts. I think I did easy see to watch. that, actually. Uh, it was not that long ago it got added mm. on, right? Yeah, I did flick past that one. Yeah, I did see it. Okay. And it's – yeah, it's sort of – because she's distanced herself from the yeah. culture, like her family. Yeah. So it's her trying to reintegrate back yeah. into that, but also, like, she's a bit bitter about it. Mm-hmm. Plus she's playing the role of a cop up there not – like oh, with their daughter or yeah, their sister okay. or their cousin or like that so kind of thing. So there is that separation as yeah, well. Yeah, and there's it's interesting because there's stuff up up like there that she can't go and investigate these people because mm. it's men's business or stuff like that. So it's her Different trying laws, to navigate yeah, as well as being a part of her white culture and law, law but yeah. also being a representation of like white fellow law. I yeah, think. exactly. Yeah. Okay, that, that's actually it's interesting. Cool. Yeah, it's okay. really well done. Um, next one's a hilarious one because I just sat down last night and started watching this, and I did it. 
100% for the nostalgia kick. I started watching Home Improvement. It's the 1991 to 1998 uh, comedy sitcom starring Tim Allen. There was a time there where I was watching a bunch of it. I think it must have been like repeats or something. Yeah. It just got added on Disney Plus like a week ago, I think. So I saw it in the new kind of selections. I think I saw it as bar. well. And I was like, I remember as a kid watching these so vaguely. I don't remember any episode kind of offhand, but I enjoyed it. It's it was it really was, well done. Yeah, it's really well done. So I watched about four or five episodes last night because I had it on while just writing a bit of this stuff. It's really good. And it's I don't think – I could be wrong, yeah. but I don't think anyone in that ended up super problematic, which is impressive. Uh, or was it? The older kids having issues now. Oh, good. The okay, older so ones having a bit of um, – I take that immediately back. There's a few criminal things anyway, happening. Anyway, I'll look into That's it. That's the only one. The younger kid, the youngest one – I forget their names off the top of my head. No, it's fine. Except for Taylor Thomas, the middle one. He left to do other films halfway through filming. And he kind of quit Hollywood. He's doing his own mm. thing now. The young one did the same thing after he finished Home Improvement. He did no other TV shows. But he's actually a part of the SpaceX program. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I looked into his, like, careers. I looked into a few of them. Imagine starting out as a child yeah, actor and then he, ending up in SpaceX. He he got married quite young with his partner and they started a vegan um, wellness kind of program yeah. and company that went really well. So he's got a little bit of money behind him based on that uh, business and then he got integrated into the SpaceX program as like a yeah like a some type of technician so he's yeah he's gone on to really successful things and then Tim Allen obviously it's is Tim, Tim Allen. Allen he's a huge comedy powerhouse from the from the 80s 90s and yeah it's really well done um I think Patricia Richardson who plays the wife character just keeps up with him really well in terms of the comedy yeah. timing and the beats and stuff. Like they play off each other really well as like a like an actual married couple. Like not in the sense like you know how like everybody loves Raymond. They everyone hates each other in that yeah. show, and I kind of hate that for that show. I don't really like that show at all because everyone's like really cruel to each other. It's I don't like this. Yeah, there's a line in that, and I yeah. feel like they often go too far. Yeah. Whereas this is just like playful banter yeah. and it's done really because it, it's it's about the home unit yeah. and how like the family like there's issues and stuff like but like light-hearted mm-hmm. issues that they kind of have to deal with and also it plays on the fact that he's a tv presenter presentation uh, called tool time he works that's on, right tool time yeah, tool yeah. time and um so it's a show in a, within a show and yeah it just plays on that fact as well uh fun fact pamela anderson's in the first two seasons as like the the lady who brings out the tools to Tim Allen. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, she plays Lisa. And it's like, thanks, Lisa. Like, everyone goes, ooh, when she walks out. Yeah. And then Tim Allen's like, ooh, thank you. It's just like little lighthearted <laughs> yeah. fun jabs and stuff. It's, I, I'm going to keep watching it. It's very good. I might have to just watch a few episodes here yeah. and there for fun. I heard the, the theme song came on for the first step and I was like, oh, that is a core memory unlocked. <laughs> I know that. And it's been probably 20 plus years since I've heard it. That's cool. <laughs> I was like, Jesus it's Christ, amazing. that's coming back to me. I watched Goodfellas this week. I loved it. Have you seen it? Goodfellas? Yeah. I have not. So it's 1990 um, starring Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco. I've been and, wanting to. Um, it's a Scorsese film. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the story of Henry Hill and his life in the mafia covering the relationship with his wife and mob partners. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Granted, towards the end I was a bit... Like, they're long films, so... Yeah, Scorsese doesn't know how to, like, tighten up films too well. No. Like the Irishman goes for, like, three and a half hours. Like by the end, I was kind of like, oh, this probably could have been shorter. Yeah. But, again, I've had big weeks, so maybe mm. in other weeks I wouldn't have thought yeah. that. But I loved it. I think Joe Pesci's a standout. I've been watching him in a few things recently. Joe Pesci's recently. great. So good. There's, like, one scene... Home Alone. 
Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, it is him. Yeah, oh, it's him. Mike, yeah. is it? No, yeah, there's a scene him. in in a bar where he he someone like one of his friends. I say friends loosely because yeah, they're all in the mob, mob. So it's yeah. they're friends one day, not the next. Um, someone says he's hilarious, and mm. he goes, "Why am I funny? Why am I funny?" It's this whole like five minute monologue where he's just giving him. I think I've seen that. Scene yeah, it's and online. then at the end he goes, "Ah, yeah, no, like it was a joke." Yeah. But he's like he loses the plot in it. But yeah. I enjoyed this one more than I feel like The I Godfather. Have... Yeah, you don't really vibe with The Godfather, do you? I, I get it. Yeah, but it yeah, not really. It doesn't feel special to yeah. me in the way it does to like. A lot of people, but you know, that's I enjoy that's the cinema. Godfather, but I can understand that as well from yeah. the other perspective. Um, okay, <laughs> lastly, for me, so you've got a couple more to talk about, but I've this is my last one. Yeah. I ended up putting on the first episode of Secret Invasion last night, what did you the think? MCU Studios TV show. So far, I'm, I'm into it. Okay, I'm into it. Um, it ends the first episode definitely on a cliffhanger that makes me want to keep watching the rest of the series. So far, I'm really enjoying it. It's because it's the characters I no grew love. to love from the first 10 years of Marvel. Like it's, it's got Maria Hill. Yeah. It's got Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury back. Um, it's got Martin Freeman as uh, Agent Ross. It's just good. And it's it's playing off the back of a story from um, Captain Marvel, from the yeah. you know the one that's set in the 90s and the scrolls mm-hmm. come and a couple of them good ones are like assimilating in with the help of Nick Fury. That's right. Yeah. I've forgotten that movie because I watched it and someone was talking the whole time and I... Watch that. If you're going to watch Secret Invasion, watch um, watch Captain Marvel first. Yeah. Just so you get the, oh, cool recap. And then that links up to one of the Spider-Man films, doesn't it? Where they're impersonating Hill and Fury? No. Is that something completely different? Might be something different. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, moving <laughs> on. Any, it's just a, it's a more grounded. So it's not, it, like I said, it's a superhero story. There's no other characters that more have superhero espionage. Powers, more espionage. It's a spy thriller, and it feels that way too. So the first episode has so far only been set in Moscow. Um, so Nick Fury has to come down from his space station because that's where he was at, after the events of Endgame. That's right. Yeah, because there's kind of like there's a catalyst that's happening. Something's going to happen, and the scrolls are hap- like they're doing it. Yeah. So he's come back down to Earth to basically because he feels guilty because it's something he was dealing with before all the events of the Avengers. I might have to watch it because I'm really into espionage stuff. Yeah. I can check it out. So far, I've only watched the first episode. There is four out so far. I'm going to probably watch the rest and get up to date this week. I'm enjoying it. It's it's pretty good. It's from, in in terms of MCU TV shows, it's pretty, it's up there. Like it's, um, it's definitely better than a lot of the other ones they've put out recently. Yeah, well, that's not. Hard to do. Yeah, there haven't been many good ones. Besides Loki, I don't have many to kind mm. of rave about. Miss Marvel was pretty good. Besides that, not <laughs> many. Uh, yeah, so I'll keep watching. I also watched Apocalypse Now, finally. Thank you. I, like, I know that I should have watched it, but it was one of those ones I felt so guilty about the fact that I hadn't watched it, mm. that I just couldn't watch it. Well, now from, you can like, tell um, your idol. Yeah, like, I'm never going to talk to her, but <laughs> that's fine. Um <laughs> Yeah, I loved it. I mm. you were messaging me a little bit. I li- we were talking a little bit and briefly. And I was when trying you're... not to talk to you because I was so into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you kind of mentioned it after you finished it. Yeah, because um, I was briefly talking to you, but you didn't really go into it. No, I was so um, enthralled. Tell me what you thought about it. I, it's a hard to pinpoint because mm. so much happens. Yeah, in it, but I was just, I was so into it from start to finish, and sometimes I can't really like focus as much as I want to be focusing on mm. stuff but it almost felt like there was no there's no cuts no there's no scene changes there was but it doesn't feel like there was a scene it change just keeps 
going to the right? point like, where like at one point I had to stop it, like get up, get a drink, yeah. go pee because I was like, there's no re- reprieve. And that's the way you're supposed to feel. Didn't, I, think. I didn't want it to end. So I was like, I've got to go now before yeah. I get right towards the end and like, yeah, I'm forced to stop it. But I just, it was so full on, mm. so beautifully shot. Mm. And the whole time I just kept thinking war is pointless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. War is so pointless. I was surprised because there's the line, like, I love the, the smell, smell of, of napalm, napalm in the morning. But everyone yeah. always talks about it. And someone talked about it earlier this week at work in our, like, weekly trivia. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. But when you watch it, mm. it's such a different tone. Right. That scene is chaos. Yeah, because he's just so, so, he, so far removed from the reality yeah. of what's going on around him. He's so focused on surfing because it's his only way of coping with what's going on. so crazy. It's just scene. having something oh, else yeah. to deal with. Yeah, I... Truly loved it. If you haven't watched it yet and you've been meaning to, oh. it's not one of those classics that is hard to watch. It's a classic that is so easy to mm-hmm. like. It's full on, but it's yeah, it's genuinely enjoyable. Holds mm. up. Would recommend it Absolutely to anyone would recommend that's it. interested in it. Yeah. So I watched that, and then I also watched Casablanca, which is 1942, starring Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Paul Henry, and Claude Rains. I really enjoyed this one not as much as some of the other classics that i've watched but i understand because it's a romance and that's not always my genre but people talk about this a lot and there's always you know there's a here's looking at you kid and the other quotes this is start of a beautiful friendship really well done yeah definitely recommend it if you're interested in cinema and just knowing where some of these quotes come from it's just really well done it's sort of a romance between a struggling cafe owner in Casablanca because they're like mm. expats and this girl that he was once in love with and supposed to go away with turns up with her lover mm-hmm. and um yeah it's just the complications of yeah. that I don't want to spoil it by telling you what I happens in see the end it. I want to see it um but I'm it, loving the classics I've been watching lately so. it ends in a really like yeah like a really good good way I don't okay. want to spoil it um no that's fine that's like, pretty much uh, yeah all say I no watched more, and then <laughs> That's a that's a bloody good effort. You watched a lot this week. I watched one more thing. I watched the first episode of Russian Doll again. 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 Which I'll probably slowly just keep watching it. That's like one of your things where you kind of it's background and it's comfort for you. It's not a comfort, I don't think. I think it emotionally destroys me every time I watch it. I mean But I like it, so I'll keep watching it. At least it. you know what's coming. It it's entertains the, me in a way yeah. that I'm like, Oh, this is fun, this is fun, and then it gets to yeah. the last couple episodes and I'm like, well, gut punch. I still so. haven't watched season two yet. Please watch it. I love season one. I Please thought it was it. fantastic. I will. I'll watch I it. I liked season two as much as season one. You did? A lot okay. of people don't because it's different. Yeah. But I loved it. It breaks me more than season one did. Okay. Which. Yeah. Well, I'll watch season two and then I'll get back to you and Please. we'll discuss it uh, in depth, I think. We should. We should. We should do a little bit of a Russian doll. Expose. Um, on that, that note, I think it is definitely time that we move into trivia. Alrighty, you want to go first? I will go first and ask you a question. Which movie starring Marlon Brando and Martin Sheen is based on a short novella, Heart of Darkness? That would be Apocalypse Now. That would be it. There is a documentary, Heart of Darkness, that I don't know where to find, there but is. apparently I, it's brilliant. I want to watch that I because w- I want to see the filmmaking side of it because apparently it was just turmoil. Oh, it would have had to be. That opening scene where Martin Sheen's like basically just like ruining the, the room and then punches yeah. the mirror is yeah. him actually having a breakdown. They just filmed it. That's not Oh, that's not scripted or anything. They just I really want to watch it because it's also on a list that I found recently, which was like back in 2020 when everyone was at home and I was – working yeah um they did like a on twitter like an internationally owned film school where she talks about all these films that she wanted to watch mm-hmm. and i found that list 
because there's yeah. so many I couldn't watch and I was really pissed about it. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch Harder Dunks for a little while. Since I've seen, since I saw the film. We I'll, should hunt it down and watch it together maybe. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we'll find it. It'll be somewhere. It, yeah. Uh, in which year were the following movies released? The King's Speech, 127 Hours and Black Swan. I'm going to say 2010. Holy shit. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember where I was, I think, during oh, okay. that time. And 2010 sounds like it. Yeah, about that time. So, I, yeah. I've watched all three of those films. They're very good. Black Swan's a wild ride, isn't it? I've seen that one. There's, I haven't seen The King's Speech or 127 Hours. Have you not seen Watch 127 Hours. It's I've been meaning to, but I think James Franco actually, yeah. yeah. But, like, it's the story. I know. It's the journey. I know. But, it's about the journey. But I know that that happens. It, if uh, I yeah. didn't, it'd be easy to watch. No, 100%. In which year were the following movies released? Batman Forever. Seven and Braveheart. 2005? Oh, wow. I have You no are idea. a whole decade off. I thought I might have been, but it's I just 1995. thought It's 1995. Well, see, I did think that, and then I thought maybe not, and I just guessed. What year were you born? 97. Okay, so it's before you're born. I just guessed. For me, I was like, I was very young for Batman Forever, so yeah. I would have been like, mm, 90s. Okay, I but like, I didn't know what year. I wouldn't no. have known what year. You still got to watch Seven. I have to watch a lot of movies. It's now on Netflix, apparently. It is, So yes. I'm yep. getting there. Who directed the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey? Stanley Kubrick. Yes, he did. He did. I'm ready to watch that film. Me I've too. Got it. I've got it. I've just got to sit down and it's watch it. It's going to be one for this week for me. Yeah, me or too. Or this week coming. Yeah. Yeah. The movie The Shining is based on a book written by which author? Stephen King. Correct. It took me a second. Absolutely. And I was like, wait, yeah, I know yeah. this answer. Yeah. Yeah, I got scared. Have you seen that film? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. In the movie Fantastic Mr. Fox, What a Bogus Bunce and Bean. Oh, I have like I've watched it for Wes Anderson. Just think about Bogus, Bunce, and Bean. Are they the Are they the the farm? Yep. the farms. They're the farm people. Yeah. What are they called, Shannon? Humans. No, people who work on a farm are commonly known Farmers. as farmers. Oh go. my god! <laughs> what are the farm people called? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Look, words are not my specialty. We're learning this, which is hilarious. <laughs> what are farm people called? <laughs> oh yeah. Farmers. I need you to get this, Shannon. I need I need this. Is it this your last one or have we done um, three? Yeah, we've done three. Okay. okay. Well, that is you. that is trivia for this week. And as always, it is always a hijinks. <laughs> Shannon learned what farmers are. <laughs> it was good fun. All right. Time for the news. Yes, let's get into it. So first off, we started the week on a high with Emmy nominations. Yes, we did. And so that was fun. Bunch of Emmy nominations were announced. Uh, the big players were Last of Us, mm-hmm. Wednesday, Succession. White Lotus. White Lotus. Um, all up for huge nominations. Heaps of people involved. Yeah, this was an interesting year, I think, in that a lot of genre television was up for some. Um, there was like Andor, House of the Dragon, Yellow Jackets. Yeah, that's right, Ooh, Yellow Jackets Yellow Jackets well. is less, I guess, of a genre, but, mm. you know, like The Last of Us as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... 24 nominations for The Last of Us. That's impressive. That is impressive. Which we're going to get to... Yeah, that is... About five, ten minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was just like a crazy, crazy amount. Um, The Bear was up for some. Jury Duty, which I've not yet seen. No. Um, Ted Lasso won, or was up for a bunch, which is their, like, sort of final send-off. Yeah, I'm just, like, reading through a few. Yeah. And, yeah, it was like... If you get a minute... 
have a look at the Emmy nominations. We're not going to go through all mm-hmm. of them on here because um, there's heaps of different categories. It's same as so it's like the Academy Awards. There's heaps of different ones. Have a look. Have a check at mm-hmm. who's involved. Um, it'll give you an idea who's up against who. Yeah, maybe what to watch. Yeah, it'll give you an idea to watch a few things if yeah. you liked a certain program in that category as well. Also, shout out to Pokerface. I got a couple. Yeah, I I've been telling that. people to watch it, and now you've got. I'm halfway through. Reason to watch it, and not just me talking. Yeah. Yep. It, from what the half I've seen of that show. It is awesome. If you like um, mystery of the week type things where each episode kind of is its own story, check it out. It's fun. It's Ryan Johnson. It's a lot of fun. All right. And moving into the next part of the news, Deadline covered the writer's strike. A studio executive uh, told them, quote, the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, end quote. Uh, One side called it a cruel but necessary evil. Now, my favorite thing about this is that they assumed that these people had money to begin with. Um, yeah. they're broke always. So here's the thing. It's like, how disconnected can you be? Uh, the fact that like, oh, we're okay with them basically on the verge of homelessness before they agree to what we want, which is, which is not an, that's not, not a negoti- negotiation in any shape or form. So it's why the writer's strike is still happening. It's so inhumane. It's insane. To make money off people mm. and then want them to lose their, their ha- houses yeah. Yeah. So that they'll stop asking for enough money to live. It's it's wild. Crazy. Off the back of that. Say, in conjunction um, with what's happening. Yeah. This- right after the Emmys were announced, as a Friday the 14th, um, the Screen Actors Guild of America are on strike. So basically all your actors. Yep. On strike. Yep. Um, so and this striking. came about after there was a proposal by some of the, like, bigger heads in Hollywood, to put it simply, um, sort of propose something where they want to pay day players who are like your background actors for a day's worth of work and then they want to use your likeness through AI to own that and reproduce that for any film they want to do and not pay you any more than the small rate they paid you for the day. Yep. I think it's disgusting. I think it's absolutely disgusting and I think they should strike for that. What a loss of the art form. Yeah. And if they want to do that well, to people the that they see it's as insignificant, yeah. what does that then mean as it goes up the line to yeah. the biggest Hollywood actors, you know? Well, they're striking in conjunction because it's not about them. They've got money, right? Like, so they're alias celebrity actors that you think, oh, why is everyone, why are the actors striking? It's not about them. They're in conjunction with actors like, you, you know, the ones that get, you know, they still get like a normal wage like me and you. Yeah. They, they act for it. They're, they're striking because of these reasons. So the big celebrity actors are basically striking alongside. Yeah, and in saying that, their wages also are not fairly compensated for with yeah. streaming. So it's sort of in conjunction yeah. with it. And they understand more than anyone that they can't do their job if they don't have the other actors and the day players working with them. Um, it's all a craft and they probably started out that way too. So... You know, I just think it's crazy where the industry is going at the moment and what it means as well for anyone playing at home with all the, th- with the strike. It means that productions are going to be halted, um, press events, festivals, Comic-Cons, good luck to the Emmys. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of executives be like, we're effed in terms of festivals. Yeah, yeah. Um, in September, you've got the Venice Film Festival, which one is one of the biggest festivals Huge. in the world yeah. where they promote all of their films. 
no one's going to be there to the point where they had the Haunted Mansion, one of Disney's films. Yeah, that's not far off. Well, no, they they have a premiere for it. Yeah. But they didn't have any actors. So they've got people that are paid to work at Disney to dress up as like Maleficent oh and my God. Minnie. That and they're on the red carpet because they don't have great. anyone to do to, the red to, carpet. To do it, yeah. So the Disney CEO, Bob Iger, has come out and said... <laughs> Basically, this is verbatim. The thing with the actors striking is it is, quite frankly, very disruptive. <laughs> like, uh, end quote, roughly. Uh, look, how disconnected can you be yep. uh, to say things like that? The point of a strike is to be disruptive because they want a change to happen. Yes, they need action. So the last time that writers and actors strike together was in the 1960s mm-hmm. um, when the people that were on I Love Lucy and the Honey Mover honeymooners sorry never saw a further penny from the millions of dollars that are made still now Mm. for their like them making the show so it's kind of this idea that like everyone's losing residuals and that's what that's what came out of the 60s strike was getting paid residuals for the shows being repeated over and over again yeah yeah so now because of streaming that's changed which we heard about which is the writers but it's the same vein same with actors. actors yeah it doesn't always pay. Some people get paid billions of dollars for their job. Yeah. And then other people get paid almost nothing. So there's well, a big difference in the industry depending on mm-hmm. your role, what you get paid for. I saw the one of the writers for She-Hulk, um, he made a comment uh, this week and there were the there were the writer involved in one of the really key storyline changes in She-Hulk where Daredevil comes back as like a, oh, Daredevil's back in the MCU. They got their residual check this week, $352. Like how can you live off that? You can't. You can't. It's insane. So They're getting paid literally cents. (laughs) They're writing some of the biggest works of art on streaming at the moment. Uh, Say what you will about She-Hulk, but it's, you know, it's MCU. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, and $352 for writing, basically one of the pinnacle points of that show. And the thing is it's making the people that own this company billions yeah. and billions and billions and billions of dollars every time someone yeah. tunes in, but the people that do the work. Bob Iger gets paid $27 million per annum. Uh, yeah, to come out and say them. something like that. It's, it's um, yeah, so it's the industry is in turmoil at the moment. Yeah, and I hope something good's going to come out of it, I but think it's so. going to take a minute. I think so. I and think they'll come to an agreement, but it's going to take a little while to, mm-hmm. a lot of lawyers, I think. Yeah. If anyone's curious what productions are halted, we've got Beetlejuice 2, Deadpool 3, Gladiator 2, Jura number 2, Lilo and Stitch, Minecraft, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 2, Mortal Kombat 2, which is an Australian mm-hmm. – was filming in Australia, but it's – It's halted now because it's, it's an halted American production. It's an American production. And Venom 3 are the ones on this list. Yes. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these films, whether they finish them. Yeah, or they just get Don't scrapped. Um, and we were speaking about this earlier before the podcast is obviously with the Australian Mortal Kombat 2 is the fact that, yeah, like they're striking, so they're not working. But think about all the people that put into like production – behind the scenes, well, also, they, they won't be working either. It's going to be interesting to so, watch Queensland because we... Yeah, we're a huge a lot of juggernaut for, us, like, Hollywood films at the moment yeah. is because we, you know, I think we, there's a tax break in Australia for filming, but mm-hmm. obviously it's building up the industry here. We're actually taking off quite well. Yep. It will be interesting to see. So I think... Yeah, it's going to be tough. Keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on how these strikes go. And we'll keep talking about it once we get more information as they come through. Yeah, and I've seen a couple people online talking about how you should stop watching shows on streaming and stuff. Don't Mm. do that until stuff comes out from actors, like the the guild saying, 
don't watch something, mm. please keep watching it. Um, yeah. It doesn't actually help. It's not at the moment. If they're, yeah, if they're losing money in terms yeah. of like streaming, it's not going to build a case. No. Uh, in any way, shape, so or yeah, form. Yeah, make sure if you do want to take action and help out, you are looking at the right places to tell yeah. you to do that. Don't just look at TikTok. Yeah, please. Um, don't. We're going to try and keep it too. If we find out stuff, we'll let you guys know and we'll source it as well. So it's not just us making up just, stuff. Yeah, we'll definitely quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's about time for us to move into the main topic of today. I think this is going to be a longer episode. I think so. That's We've fine. Talked for a while. That's fine. We'll do what we can. It's The Last of Us. The HBO Max TV show from this year, 2023. Um, obviously, you just heard that it went up for 24 Emmy nominations, which is massive. It was a massive show at the start of this year. It is uh, – I'll just go into the history of it, then we'll basically talk about yeah. what we felt about it. Um, it's based on a PlayStation game, a video game from 2013. Uh, it was originally released on the PlayStation 3. Uh, the idea was conceived by game director Bruce uh, Strali mm-hmm. and creative director Neil Druckmann. So you're going to hear Neil Druckmann's name come up a bunch of times because he's involved in the TV show. Um, at the video game studio Naughty Dog, which is um, – they're responsible for the Uncharted series, so a lot more accessible. Everyone would have probably maybe played the Uncharted series. They made a movie out of Uncharted recently as well, funnily enough. Um, and that was, you know, conceived in 2009 – it came into fruition in 2013. Uh, players would control Joel, a smuggler tasked with escorting a teenage girl, Ellie, across a post-apocalyptic United States. So that's pretty much the crux of the story. It's a lot deeper than that when you actually get into it. Um, the last of it was a massive critical and commercial success on release, mm-hmm. uh, with many deeming it one of the best video games ever made. Um, it spawned a part two in 2020, and which was released on the PlayStation 4. So that's going to really coincide with what comes in later seasons. Yeah, so I never played the game, but I was on Tumblr, God help us all, <laughs> in 2013, and it was massive, massive on there. It was huge. So I do, I knew a lot about it without having ever been one of the people that played it, and I understood people's love of it. And then, like you said, it was re-released. Or it was re-released again recently, they last re-released year it, on but PlayStation 5. Then, you know, Part 2 came out, and I was working in like a store that sells the game. Yeah. So I sort of seen, very much it, yeah. understood the love of it. And I'd heard bits and pieces. So I was very keen to watch this yeah. show. Obviously it got greenlit into a TV show. There was a few years here where they were thinking maybe a movie, yeah. but then um, Craig Marzen. Yep. Craig uh, Mazin, Mazin. Got involved and he's at, I think, at HBO. Yeah, so he'd done Chernobyl or Chernobyl. He did Chernobyl, which is a very critically acclaimed TV show as well based on the Chernobyl disaster. Um, He loved it. So apparently he's played the game 12 times. So he's an absolute fanatic and he wanted to turn the game into a TV show. He thought it fit the format a lot better, which I absolutely agree with I agree too. Because there's so much depth to the story. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that later as to why that is. Um, Him and Neil Druckmann met. Because um, they've met through a mutual friend, because they both were interested in doing this. They a week later they took it to HBO Discovery, whatever uh, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, in, whatever it was at the time. At the time, it's all changed. And yeah. they had a meeting. Um, they met with that person. They hadn't played the game. They weren't too involved in knowing what it was, mm-hmm. but they obviously saw Craig's previous work with Chernobyl, and he was obviously very enthusiastic about it. So they gave him the green light and went, "Yes, yeah, you clearly know what you." talking about with this one and I think it's got some of the best viewership of HBO's series in years 
It's impressive. Yeah. Everyone. I think they said it's an average of 30 million streams yeah. up like now or each episode, and which is insane. And everyone that they put in it did an amazing job. Even the young boy that played Sam oh, Sam he's up for an Emmy he's the youngest person up for an Emmy uh the deaf yeah. uh, character yeah yeah it's his first screen role and that he's up for crazy. an Emmy he was yeah. amazing in it yeah, yeah. so good this this story we'll talk about the story right Please. we'll go into the story so this two characters that's what it's all about it's like obviously set in a post-apocalyptic world with zombies and you think oh cool run-of-the-mill zombie story absolutely not it's about the two characters of Joel and Ellie, and they could not have probably picked two actors to play this role who fit it perfectly besides Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey to fit it perfectly than they did. I thought it was perfectly cast. Those two were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I came into it a little bit late mm. um, in that there were the first three episodes were out and yeah. I kept hearing people talk about I mean, I obviously knew everyone was talking about it, but yeah. people kept talking about it with – such love mm. that I was like, okay, now is the time for me to, to get, get into, into this it. before yeah. I'm too far behind. Yeah, I kept going and to you. Oh I'm my like, god, you was need I to impressed. watch The Last of Us. You need to watch The Last of Us, knowing that full well what was coming because yeah. I played the game. I know the full story. Um, I was like, you're gonna want to know this story from a writing perspective as well as like loving to be TV. told too much. Once I started getting into it, yeah, people were very. It was, I was actually impressed. Everyone was very protective of me having only. Yeah, I didn't bits. tell you. No yeah. one wanted to tell me, and I was like, "No, come on, tell me." Like to a bunch of people. Because I appreciate the story. I was like, "I want yeah. you to experience that for the first time." Carl did give me a little bit of warning because I went into it after watching the first episode, and oh, I was like, "Yeah, I love Tess," and he was like, "Okay, well, well." She's in it well, a bit, but she's not in it as much as you wanted to be. And I was like, okay, thank you okay, for that's warning That's fine. Um, also, um, the daughter of Sarah. Like, yeah. that's a gut punch in the first episode. Well, I cried in the first three episodes. Yeah, each one. I it, was it, like, how am I? How are you killing me every time? And that was played by, was it Nico Parker? Yeah. Um, yep. One of her first roles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played that great. So, Sarah is uh, Joel's daughter. It's the catalyst for his catalyst character. Catalyst for his character. And something happens at the start of the, <laughs> something happens without going into Huge plot details yeah. um, with her. Well, I guess everyone's seen it, so we kind of can. Yeah, okay. So she ends up passing away um, in a, when they're trying to escape the town because this is the start of the Cordyceps virus yeah. infecting everyone. And then it cuts. Like once she gets killed, she gets shot as they're trying to get away. Joel survives. And then it cuts like 20 years later. So Joel's this like survivor, hardened, doesn't so have hardened. any connection to anyone besides Tess because um, he's built up a kind of a relationship because they need each other yeah. basically out of loneliness and obviously survival. And I just think, God, it's so beautifully done how quickly you mm. understand their mm-hmm. whole relationship and how, how like far it goes because she's been out mm. getting beaten up by yeah. a bunch of people and she just comes in, mm-hmm. moves him over, they get into bed, they fall asleep. It's so easy. Yeah. This, but tired as well, this thing that they have. So yeah. you, you can immediately understand where they are. Yeah. And then character beats happen, story beats happen. Introduce Ellie. Yeah. Ellie's this teenage- Smart-ass. Char- Smart-ass character. Basically grew up in a world that's always been infected. So she's like, yeah, only like, I think she's 14, 14 in this yeah. one. And the next one, she's about 16, I think, in the part two. It's about two or four years later. So she might be about 18. I think she's about 18. 18. I can't remember the top of my head. I think, I think it might be four years. Yeah. So Joel and Tess are tasked with transporting Ellie from where they are to basically the other side of the country in the United States because 
They want a car battery, basically. They wanted a car battery, so they agreed to move her from A to B. So they get the car so they can leave, and then she goes along for the ride because the fireflies needed to go to a certain place. The story goes along, and then they go to Frank's and Bill's town. Oh, I just reread – I read the script, actually, for this episode, and – If this doesn't win an award of some description for, like – Just the script itself. Like, I'd seen it, but it hit me reading it. I teared up a little bit. It is one of the best – Single episodes of TV, I think, ever written, mm-hmm. ever shot, and ever acted. It's, oh man, I think it was. Everyone's phenomenal. like, it's gonna, it's gonna kill you because I yep. watched, I watched the three episodes a day each before I caught up with the fourth one because I yep. knew that I was behind, but I didn't want to rush it, and I cried so much watching it. This, see, this is where, this is where the show deviates from the game. Yeah. So when you go to Bill's town in the game. It's more gamey. It's very like, you know, go through this building, kill a few things, get to the next part. And then you get, you find Bill, Bill comes across you and basically, yeah, you need a car battery at that point to get out of town to the next place. You go through a bunch of stuff with Bill. Like you get introduced to Bill. The interactions between Ellie and Bill are actually really, really good. So if you get a chance, look that up. They go through the town, they get into the high school there. And that's when you first like, kind of like the first big boss character. And then you go through, and then you get the next set of like houses before you can get to the street that you can drive a car on. All you see is as you walk into this house is a pair of legs like hanging from the roof. And obviously this person's hung themselves because yeah. it's a pretty gritty world that they live in. And then they they look up and Bill looks up and he quickly cuts down the rope. And um, like obviously he knew who that person was. Joel interacts with him and goes, he's like, Frank, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And um, – yeah, there's just like a quick interaction between Joel and Bill being like, yeah, well, he was my partner. And it's indicated more than just friends. Know, yeah. Just friends. Um, and you hand him a note later and he reads it. And it's, it's kind of poetic as well. But yeah, that's the only part you get is that's the difference. Yeah. Is that they obviously did have a relationship. Something happened and they separated. And then Frank ends up killing himself. Yeah. And then Bill helps you get out of town. Yeah, I think someone had – either you told me that or maybe some of the guys at work had told me because I was like, okay, tell me what the game story was now that I've seen. I don't – like, obviously that works in a game perspective because you have to play. Yeah, you've got objectives. You've got objectives and stuff. But I think on screen, this was the best way you could present their story. And I loved what that meant for you as a viewer because when you're playing a game you are that character so yeah. you the stakes are high for you because you're experiencing the world through at that point Joel yeah but you when are you're Joel for watching it game. you don't have that connection with Joel because no. you don't and you don't understand where he is at that moment but when you've watched the show mm-hmm. and you've the first episode you see he's lost his daughter mm-hmm. and then the second episode he's got someone else to live for who is Tess. It's Tess at that point. And then Tess goes, okay, Joel, we need to live for someone else now basically, Mm. which is Ellie. But you don't understand exactly what Tess meant to him until you watch what Bill meant meant to to Frank Frank. or Frank meant to Bill. Mm. And then you see that note that he's given, which Mm -hmm. basically says, hey, the viewers have just watched Bill and Frank and it's like, yeah, that's what Joel and is, Tess had that's exactly right. in a different way, and you just feel the loss Phenomenal of that because you've writing. watched it through a, a different, a different lens. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> it's so deep. And it's then it's so like, deep. Do you understand where Joel's at now yeah. with then, his kid? Yeah, they they're in the house, and I think at the start of the next episode, Ellie's like, "Oh, I'm sorry about Tess." Yeah, because this is a little bit later after after it yeah. happens. All right, get a few things straight because he's still like 
I'm doing this for Tess, not for you. Yeah. We never talk about Tess and we do this. You always listen to me, whatever I say. Yeah. Like if I say jump, that you jump. And we the never talk about the third episode. Is it? Because mm-hmm. that's in the game as well. Yeah. That is that is verbatim from the game. So I was like, great that they had that that beat as well. It's just so well written. It's in both of them. Just incredibly well done. Mm. Um, I was, I didn't think I would, I knew that I would love it because everyone told you that I mm. like told me that I should love it. But then watching it, I was so blown away just mm-hmm. the way that they do a genre show, but it doesn't Beautifully feel shot like a genre too, like show. the, the, um, the lands, like the locations yeah. are, are phenomenal. Like it's so, f- it's so well lived in. Like I know it's like a lot of it was probably for the buildings of CGI and stuff, but it looked really accurate to the game. Well, having. Even when they went to like um, Tommy's town near the dam, I'm like, that's yeah. exactly like the town that they go to. It looks exactly the same. And I appreciated those bits that they referenced from the video game, even not having played it. Mm. I was familiar with a lot of them, even yeah. the shot with like the giraffe. Like I remember seeing that from like Tumblr and stuff. Such an iconic moment because they've gone through all these things. It's really close to the end of the game and they go up this building and it's obviously been blown out yeah. inside. So they're standing there with an open kind of area and there's just a giraffe there. And Ellie gets to interact with the giraffe like, you know, pat it on the head before they kind of move on. The idea of that scene is that, like, life goes on. Yeah. So Neil Druckmann came out and said, like, Ellie's just gone through this horrific thing with the character of David the episode before. That's where, the – yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was brutal. Out. So that was pretty close to the game too, like with the fire in the room where he's chasing her down with the machete and stuff, really accurate. So that was beautifully done as well. So she's gone through this horrific thing where she's just murdered someone basically in cold blood just but to save herself and like how much these people have to go through to survive. And then obviously she reconnects with Joel and there's that, like just how close they've gotten. Like, I think he says like, I'm here, baby girl. I'm here. Yeah. And it's like so touching as well. Like he's obviously treating her close to his own daughter. Like that's what that essential relationship becomes towards the end. The idea of the draft scene was life goes on. You've just gone through this thing is to help Ellie move on to like, yeah, life goes on. Like keep going, keep going. Like it's the reason to keep going. And then we get to the hospital scene at the end where This is I, the final episode, hey. Yeah, yeah I remember gonna, watching it with you and Ben. Yeah. I'm gonna spoil it in case you haven't seen it or played the game, but Don't listen ep- to this episode then. Look, whatever. We're gonna talk about all of it. Um the idea of the Fireflies is getting Joel to the I mean Joel getting Ellie to the Fireflies is she's immune. Mm-hmm. So she's immune. That gets found out in the couple, first couple of episodes. Like episode two. Two for Joel, but obviously they keep it under wraps. Yeah. She's been bitten before. Which also that episode's phenomenal, Left Behind. Yeah. Which where you get her kind of backstory before they meet Joel. Yeah. Beautifully done. Um, she's been bitten before. She doesn't turn at all at any point. So her blood's immune to the cordyceps virus. She tries to save Sam. Yeah. Yeah, that was beautifully done as well. There's so many beautiful episodes. Anyway, so they get to the Fireflies. The Fireflies have realised she's immune. So they try and use her blood to try and cure basically the world from this virus. And the doctors have come together to agreement that she probably will need to pass away or die to get this virus, to get a vaccine. And they're at the point too where it, she's a, she's a, not a person to them. She's a cure. She's, yeah, exactly. And but there's a bigger Joel, thing going on. It's a daughter figure again. Yeah. And he's gotten so connected to this person. They've gone across the entire of America together over the course of, I think it's 18 months. I think mm. it says at one point it does a time skip. So it's at least probably longer, maybe and nearly two years. These people, these ki- well, she's a kid, but they've saved each other's life over and over, over, and over again. again. Yeah, because he she Both looks after Joel literally, but also like emotionally, yeah. he's got a reason to L- live to live again, again, which he keeps losing. You know. Yeah, and so he 
he basically comes to the idea like, no, I, I'm going to save her once again. So he kills a bunch of Firefly people and the doctor as well to get her out of the room. And Marlene. Yeah, and Marlene. And Marlene, which is a huge... Who's also the voice actor for Marlene, which yeah, is which cool. Yeah, which is huge. Same same actress. Um, and then takes her back to Tommystown. And then she's obviously asleep during this whole scene. Um, same with the game. That's how it plays out in the game. Um, same with the back car, how she's sleeping in the back car. Wakes up and then they obviously go to Tommystown where they're walking through and they see the town. And then she turns to him and be like, did everything you say happen with the fireflies? Is that true? And then Joel goes, Yes. And she goes, okay. And they walk on. That's the end of season one. That's the end of the first game. It's just so beautifully done. Yeah. I <laughs> like, I truly, one of maybe my favorite shows that I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I'm going to buy it when it's released physically. This week? Yes. Okay. Maybe I won't buy it this, this week. week. Um, um, I'll buy it when I come back from my trip. Yeah. There's also other things that happen. Obviously, we're talking about Sam and Henry, uh, the people they meet along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big character beat. And story beat in the game as well. And then all the scenes with, I can't remember the character. Um, Linsky? Yes. That's not in the game. No, but I think it was. It's at Pittsburgh. But they said it somewhere else. Added but yeah. for, the, mm. for the TV show. I think it was just, yeah, there's just an added character. Because really in the game, you don't interact with that many people besides, you know, your David, your Henry and Sam and a few other people. You don't start. need to. No, because it's mostly you're playing the it. game yeah. and killing zombies. Um, so I think it was a good little addition in the middle there. That scene where all the zombies come out of the ground and basically kill that whole town. Really well done. That's That was huge with the big bloater character. Mm-hmm. And rips that person in half. Oh, the whole thing's fallen, but yeah. it's amazing. Um, that guy with the beard who gets killed at that scene, he's a voice actor for the game as well. I think he plays David off the top of my head. I, it rings a bell. He plays one of the characters in the game. So not only have they used a couple of characters from that, Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, mm-hmm. who play Joel and Ellie yes. in the game, are also in the show as well. So Troy Baker plays one of the offsiders to David, who's one of the murderous villain characters halfway through the show. And then Ashley Johnson, who plays Ellie, is actually Ellie's mother in a flashback scene, which I thought was amazing to use her for that scene, if you make sense, like the mother of Ellie. Of mm-hmm. course, it's like you are the... You birthed this character to begin with. I thought it was really cool. And Ashley Johnson's just got – but they've both got really iconic voices as well. As soon as I was like, yep, that's them. <laughs> yeah, they they play homage – or they sorry, they pay homage, slip there, to the game in a way that makes sense. They didn't do it verbatim because they understand no. that different mediums require different, different things. things. And I think they did it really but well. But they, yeah, did it justice, I think. I, don't, I haven't really heard anyone apart from people that are, like, bigoted and they have a separate issue with yeah, the look. changes – I haven't actually heard anyone who loved the game say they didn't like the show. No, it's got nothing but praise in, yeah. from what I've heard. Um, I'm very much looking forward to how they do part two. I'm excited to see it. I've seen bits and pieces yeah. about where it goes, but I don't know the full it story. Is, it's told in a different way for the game. I'm not going to say anything more because, yet again, you haven't played it. You don't know the story. I'll probably look into it before I watch it. Yeah. It's, Sorry. It's... Um, it's bigger in scope. I'll say that. It's bigger in scope. Um, it's it's going to be good. It's going to be very good to see on screen, but they will tweak a few things, I think, just so it makes it work. Um, they've said that part two will be a couple of seasons. Oh, okay. Because like, it is quite a bigger story to tell. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a real juggernaut for HBO. I trust the team. You I know, do If too. they do that with season one, like what are they going to do going well, forward? 
I think it's going to be Yeah, amazing. well, Neil Druckmann's a part of the writing team. He's part of the producing team. He's the one who created the game. So he, it's, he knows exactly what it needs to be. It's not one of those things where it's just like, here's the story from a game. Here you go to a movie studio and they just don't get it. They don't mm-hmm. get what it is. And I think having Craig Mazin having played it like 12 times, yeah. he obviously he understands loves that it so much that he knows what to do with it in a way yeah. that'll work. Yeah, I think it's one of those shows that people need to see. You don't have to be interested in zombies, the game at all. Yeah, you need to go out and see it. That's about. Yeah, I I'm think, like, are you going to talk? I'm like, no, I think, it, I think it's better. I think we got time about wrap up um, our Last of Us deep dive. Yeah, I like, again, just if you're not interested in the game, watch it anyway, because I'm not a gamer, but I yeah. absolutely adored this show. Yeah, as soon as I knew it was getting made into a TV show, I went, Tish, you're going to love this from just the sheer. The, the written it's side so aspect of it. gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a follow. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads um, at BingeList or emails at BingeList and BoxOfficeHits at gmail.com. And as always, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.